Even though it's the end of January, seeing as last week the Lord saw fit for us all to stay at home. So we're having vision part two, just vision for the year and vision, just something of God's put in our heart, and yet it's the end of January. So our vision for the church has always been encounter, equip, and engage, but this year, and I'm not going to be able to recap everything I did two weeks ago for the sake of time, but this year we really feel it's a year for encounter and building a church in power to engage our city. It's a year to, to look out. It's a year to, to see what God wants to, to do. It's a year to pick up the stewardship and the call of the Great Commission. And there's an interesting perspective that the world right now has on the church. And we spoke a bit about that. We were just honest and real. How does the world see the church? And because it's different to how the world saw the church in the book of Acts. And so I, I, read, I said this last time, I believe with all my heart that the church, Church Global, capital C, needs to rediscover its call, which is the Great Commission. And unfortunately, we treat it like a business where we, believe it, we, we leave it to the, the professionals, we leave it to the pastor. Actually, the Bible says the work of the ministry is to be done by the saints. We're here to just equip you to do the Great Commission. And the church, which is people, ecclesia, the called out ones, have to snatch up that call again. It's not a, it's, it should feel difficult. It should feel impossible because any vision that comes from the Lord, if it was be able to accomplish by flesh, it's not from him. I mean, when the Lord gave vision to Joshua, he gave him the three things that Moses could never do. Imagine that's the first thing you get told. Moses, my servant, is dead. But you, Joshua, he was my servant, but you, Joshua, there's an insecure moment. He was my servant, but you do the things that he couldn't do. It's the first thing God said to him. Vision has to be God, unless you, we cannot. And we've been given the Great Commission. So church has to remember its call, which part of that is community, which God willing we'll get into today. We also have to rediscover our clarity. The gospel, there's too many versions of the gospel out there. The gospel is the gospel is the gospel. It's good news. It's not, it's not telling people how to behave. It's moving from death to life. It's good news. And then our catalysts, a catalyst chemically is something that you add to something else. It itself does not change, but it changes whatever it touches. We have been given the Holy Spirit, which expresses through love and power. If you've ever experienced the power, true power of God, His power is powerful. And the church needs to remember that we have catalysts to accomplish the task, and they're not of earth. And people are afraid of that because it's not Western, and the Bible wasn't written in the West. It was written in the East, where that was normal. And then we need to be honest with our challenges. So let's go back, read Mark 16. We're going to read the Great Commission again. And uh, I'm just going to read it and then make some comments. He says here in Mark 16, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spoke to them, and saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So therefore you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I don't think 
we can understand what it was like for a Jewish person to hear all authority in heaven is mine. They understood heaven, God's abode, Yahweh, Jehovah. And yes, someone, Christ. And he says, all authority in heaven has been given unto me. For a Jewish person who grew up worshiping Jehovah, I don't think we can understand what that meant for them. How is that possible? Jesus. And yet it is true. He was before all things. In him all things consist. He is the image of the invisible God. So there's something that, that meant to them that we don't understand. Okay, he's in charge. No, friends. Even in heaven, all authority. Christ. And then we went over this last time as well, teaching them to observe. It's not, there's different words for observe in the Greek. Some of your translations will say teach them to obey. It's observe with a change of action. It's like we would say we observe uh, July 4th. We observe whatever. And so on that day, we change our functions and our duties. Everything shifts on that day because we're observing something different to what we have been involved in. Jesus said, you are going to call people, yes, to salvation, but you're going to call them and teach them a lifestyle. You're going to teach them a whole new way of living that they've never before understood, experienced, seen, ever. It's not just a decision. It's not. You cannot just add Christ to your life. Because salvation comes saying that he's Lord, not Savior. You believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Then he saves. It's not just an added ingredient. He takes over. It's a lifestyle. Teach them to observe, to, to live in a way that they've never lived before. It'll affect everything. So, first point, Jesus changed everything. He, Jesus came in grace and in truth. Why does it say that? And I won't get into that now, but very simply, he came in grace and truth. The truth of what was the actual issue. What was the actual issue, and which I'll explain now? And then grace, saying the answer to that issue will come based on unmerited favor that you experience. Based on my merit, not yours. The answer will come by grace. He brought both. Because to them, we have to understand that sin, in the Old Testament, to sin, and, and please don't hear what I'm not saying because I don't have time to clarify, was mostly seen as disobedience to the law, all the statutes and ordinances of God. That's what they understood. What's funny, though, and what's strange, is that the Bible says the following things about the law. The law stirs up sin. The law was given to make sin increase. The Bible says that. It's a crazy verse. By the law is knowledge of sin. You, you, you cannot sin if you don't know what the law is. So naturally, because of those things, and it's fascinating verses, but because of those things, they became what the Bible calls in Hebrews 10, sin conscious, meaning I wake up with what I must not do. I don't wake up free. I wake up with, I must not sin, I must not sin, I must not sin. Sadly, many Christians still wake up like that. I wake up so aware of what I mustn't do, this lists of do's and don'ts and, and all the different laws, and so I focused on that. I don't wake up to be free and love and serve and worship Him. I wake up to, I must not do these things. It's your whole, it consumed them. And so Jesus comes along and says, listen, it's not really about that. It's much more than that. The issue is not really obedience to the law. Yes, I will fulfill the law, but the issue is your nature. There's something that you're born with called a sin nature. And he says, that's the issue. And he says, I've come now to put an axe to the root, not to just give you a band-aid, which was the law was that. I've now to put an axe to the root and change you from the inside out, which the law could never do. 
and make you right with God in grace, not on your merit, but I'll do it for you. That's exactly what happened. And they began to realize that sinning is not so much about a list of do's and don'ts. Sinning, please hear this, is simply an expression of the old nature. S to sin, sinning is an expression of the nature we're born with. Just as the life of the Spirit or, or, or the fruits of the Spirit is the expression of the new nature. That's all it is. The fruits of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is just the expression of the new nature inside of you. And we have to understand there's so many guilty Christians walking around, I'm so bad, I'm so bad. No, it's like that. We have to understand the Bible was written to the new nature. The Bible was written to the new man inside. So when it says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, it's not saying you're terrible, it's awful, you mustn't. It's saying when you do these things, you're not being consistent with who I'm making you, with who you've now become. It's written to the new nature. Remember who you are. So Jesus came and said, listen, it's not about that. Yes, that obedience to the law, but what is it? I've come to change you. And so your natural expression will be according to the spirit, not according to the old nature. Very important. And that's why, we, you know the phrase, if, you, if it walks like a duck, if it talks like a duck, it must be a duck. No. It has to be born a duck to be a duck. It's just a fact. Yeah, boom. All right. Has to be born a duck. Why? Because you can get Christians that, you can get people, let me say, that walk like a Christian, talk like a Christian. Doesn't mean they're Christian. You have to be born again. Because the old nature came how? By birth. So the new nature comes by birth. You must be born again. The new birth. It's not about how you are. And the sad thing is I see Christians that are definitely saved that are on an outward expression way worse than a person who's definitely not. But inside has changed. We need our clarity back. We need it back. We need what is the gospel. We desperately need our clarity back. Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I put a little diagram, which when I converted it, it changed. But it just means when he says, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he's saying, take every creature, make them a new creature. From that to that. That's what it means. So, the person who had great clarity on this was Paul. With what lens, can you turn to Romans 1, please? With what lens did Paul approach the gospel? I'm going to run through this pretty quick. But it's important because it has to do with how we as a church are looking at the year. With what lens did Paul approach the gospel? I was um, praying a little while ago, and I was actually praying through just the I am's of Christ. I am the bread of heaven. I am this. I am that. You know, the seven I am's of Jesus. This, he said seven different things. I am this. And as I'm praying through the I am's, the Lord spoke so clearly to my heart. He said, what about the I am's of Paul? Never thought about that. Never even heard anyone preach on that. And I began to do some research and study. There's a whole long list of them, and they're incredible because he was a man, in a sense, just like us. But these three are in one verse, and it's, it's the cornerstone of how he thought and how he saw the gospel, how he picked up the Great Commission for himself. So Romans 1, verse 13 to 16 says this, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, speaking to the Romans, obviously, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now. 
that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. The first thing Paul says about the gospel is, I am a debtor. I am a debtor. He's saying, what does that mean? He's saying, I'm in a position where I owe somebody else something that I have. If I was in debt to Josh, I would owe him money. I'm a debtor to him. Paul's saying, he is a debtor. I'm a debtor to those around me. I'm actually positioned, you are positioned as a debtor. We owe the world what we carry. We actually owe them. Yeah? We actually owe them. I owe the world. I owe people. Because he says, I'm a debtor to who? To Greeks and to barbarians. Wise and unwise. Greeks is just a, in a sense, Gentiles. That's what he meant. That's all people. And barbarians are those who were not speaking Greek. That's what he meant. But it also means they were wild and rude and harsh. It actually says this. One whose speech is rude and rough and brutal. And he says, I am in, I'm a debtor to those around me that look nothing like me. I actually owe them. I owe them. They don't owe me. How has Christianity changed? Where they have to change and behave and do these things so that they can come into church. Friends, that is not the gospel. We are in debtors. We are in debt, in a sense, to them. We carry a new nature and we carry a person. And we owe that to them. We actually owe. Uh, Peter said in Acts 3, what I have I give. What I have I give. When Jesus sent out in Matthew 10, it came in the context of sending out people. When he sent them out, he said, freely you have received, freely give. Because everything that comes from the Father is a gift. It's received. Paul said, it's not just what I have I give. Paul says, what I have I owe. I'm a debtor. I actually owe. It's a crazy verse. That was his approach to the gospel. Colossians 3, it says this. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. There's the old man, the new man. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. That's a weird verse. What does that mean? You've put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. Who's renewed in knowledge? The new man. Okay? Renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, the new man. You see that? Very simple. Okay. Then what does it say about the new man? Where, in a sense, in the new man, there is neither Greek nor Jew, nor slave nor free, or circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Meaning what? When we are positioned to think with the mind of Christ, when we understand the gospel, friends, the political sphere, the, the, the marketplace, the marches, the, the... And don't be offended, and if you are, that's fine. But... The, the marches, the protests, the picketing, the blogging, the posting. Friends, it won't change anything. They don't need that. They need born again. They need new nature. The new nature doesn't see race and creed and color and culture. and It doesn't see any of that. It sees none of that. It's what it says. It doesn't see it. Doesn't exist in the new nature. Doesn't, I don't see any of that. I don't care if you look like, don't look like. 
believe different things. I don't care where you come from. If you're a barbarian, it even says Scythian, which is the worst type of barbarian, it says. This is what it says in the Greek, the worst type of barbarian. It doesn't matter of your past, your history. People should walk in there with tattoos, so many tattoos that they scare children and sit next to you and it's good. It's not about where they come from. And, and that's who Paul says we're in debt to. We are debtors, friends, not to those like us. To those we don't understand. To those whose culture is different. To those who anger us. To those who we owe them. They do not owe us. Because they don't carry what we carry. When they free, well, if I said that, they'd get mad. Of course, because they're still operating by the old nature. You cannot expect them not to. That would be weird. They need what you carry. I think I'll leave that there. What else did he say? I'm going to go through these quick. I am ready. Is it hot in here? Never. It's always just me. Okay. <laughs> Everyone's like, no, it is not. It is not. It is not. The poor office staff, they freeze. They literally sit with blankets. It's terrible. He says, I am ready. You know that scripture that says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know the scripture? You know that word willing? It's the only other time in all of the New Testament that that word, same word, ready, when Paul says, I am ready to preach the gospel, it's the only other time it's used. What does it actually mean when he says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to those at Rome? He's saying, I have decided that I'm a debtor, and because I've decided that, I have to be ready, or I have to be willing. And when I'm willing, that makes me ready. That's actually what he means. I am willing. With the I, feel, I don't feel ready. You are ready. You are. It's not about how you feel. We've heard it say, if I had friends that treated me like my feelings, I would never be their friend. And if they lied to me as much as my feelings. It, it, you are ready. You, are, you owe them. You are debtors to them. And you are ready. When you make the decision that you're willing, you'll become ready fast. Because it changes your perspective and your lens. And as I said last time, it's not about bringing them, going and speaking and everyone gets saved. No. You're ready with what? Two handfuls of seeds. That's it. You sow. That's it. In 2014, I was looking through my notes on my iPhone, just trying to erase them because I have so many. You know, I get a thought of a scripture and, and I've got all these things that make no sense years later. So I'm erasing them. And in 2014, and as I read it, I started to weep. It was just before I took over the church. And I realized that God put this in my heart then, but we've taken, we've been through four years of crazy transitions. And the note was, how do you win a city? How do you win a city? Friends, we have two handfuls of seeds that we have been given to sow. The power is in the seed. It's in the gospel. And then Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I could go into that. And that scripture has been used to make people feel terrible. There is a massive issue with Christians like, oh, I'm fearful, I'm ashamed. I, I'm so glad that Jesus just made sure that he did a personality profile Myers-Briggs tests before he sent them out. <laughs> because he wouldn't dare send out, you know, if they weren't, you know. 
You know the word when it says Matthew sent them out into the city? I mean, Jesus sent them out into the city, Matthew 10. You know the word that it uses says when he sent them? It uses a different word than all the other times that it talks about being sent out. Apostolos, the sent ones. It uses the word the ekbala. And that is always used for the casting out of demons. He says, I cast them out into the city. I ekbaloed them. Go. <laughs> and you'll discover that you can do it. You'll discover it in the journey. I am not ashamed for the gospel for, of, the, of, of the gospel, for it is the power. It, the power is in the seed. The thing that made Paul not ashamed was another I am, which we won't get into. I am crucified. I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ liveth in me. Friends, when you love Jesus, I'm not saying people don't, but there's a divine perspective shift that needs to come in the modern-day church. If your child is over there and they're in some serious harm, car or, or someone's trying to take them, or serious harm, your first thought is not your reputation. It doesn't matter if you are, are, are naked. You run. Yeah? yeah? Why? Because of love. I love. Love removes the reputational fear. I don't care. Because I love. I'm not ashamed. Oh, Paul recognized, I owe the world what? A new nature. And who? I have freely received. I do. We, we are debtors. We are debtors to those around us. What about the Christian community? We have a life group fair today. What about Christian community? Why, do I, uh, why am I adding this on to clarification of the gospel? Why? Because what are they getting saved into? It's a big deal. It's, it's not a decision. They come, what are we bringing them into? Community, church community, is extremely, extremely important. When Jesus says, teach them to observe, we discuss what that means, all things that I have commanded you. He's saying, you're going to teach them a new way of living that has never yet been seen. Why? Because there's never yet been a group of people that have a nature like you now have. Hello? You're going to teach them a way of living in a community that has never yet been seen. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. They were with one accord. The possibility of a, what a Christian community can be, I don't think we've seen it. Maybe five or six times in history. What does Christ mean? What can a Christian community become like? Actually, biblical Christian community. People say, well, you're unrealistic. No, it's the Bible. I actually, with all my heart, this is one of my, I love community. I love fun and barbecues and sitting around fires and I just love it. And children and, but you know, it's funny. You get people together for a little bit of time. Hmm, interesting things will happen. <laughs> when you get a group of people that are understanding that we're a Christian community with a new nature, whole different community, whole different world. You will teach them a whole new way of living life together, not before seen. Like I said, Jesus changed everything. So he comes to these disciples and he says, so guys, now with all these changes, okay, we're dealing with all nature and it's no longer eye for an eye. That's the law. And like, what do you mean? Why? Because an eye for an eye, 
in the Old Testament of the natural, to defeat an enemy was a sign to them, as Israelites, was a sign that God is with us because we won. And he's saying, okay, so now the enemy is no longer people. So it's not about defeating the enemy. It's no longer eye for an eye. Now you love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you. Why? He says, because now, now it's a rescue mission. They're like, what do you mean? Well, remember when you guys were in Egypt for 400 years and you need, yeah, okay, now they're in Egypt. Oh. So don't kill them, which is exactly what the disciples wanted to do. Lord, we saw people preaching in your name. Should we call down fire on them? <laughs> no, don't do that. It's not like that. He said, now it's a rescue mission. No longer eye for eye. No longer win a battle as evidence that God is with us. No, it's a rescue mission. You are debtors to them. So now you go and love them. Go and reach them. Everything shifts. Oh, your marriages will change too, just by the way. What do you mean? Well, now marriage is a representation of Christ in the church. Oh, and the way you lead, that'll change too. Don't lord it over like the Gentiles, the New Testament says. Lead through serving. Everything's changing, guys. Jesus changed everything. Research says this. I'm going to read you some stuff now. The number one reason that people join a church is they're looking for real, genuine relationships. Teachers like me think that everyone joins a church for doctrine. I was <laughs> horrified when I realized that's not true. Oh, my goodness. But they do not. They, they just do not. They are looking for real, genuine relationships. The number one reasons why people leave churches, they could not find real, genuine relationships. That's a fact. God puts a desire in us for a type of community that we have not yet experienced. When you get saved, it's a desire that comes. If it does not, or if it's, I, I don't want that, you've either been hurt out of it, taught out of it. That's the truth. It's in you, this desire for fellowship. They devoted themselves, Acts to, to fellowship. At a whole different level than they experienced in the world because people are not operating by self. That's the old nature. They're operating by love. Everything changes. I'm going to read you some stats quick. This comes from the Designs for Health Research and Education Foundation. Some of these studies had a 19-year follow-up, or they're in a 19-year follow-up now. The following percentages that I'm going to read to you are all people in the United States that are being reported as being in extreme isolation or extremely lonely. 35% of all U.S. adults over the age of 45 reported as being in extreme isolation or extremely lonely. 80% of those under 18, 80% in the United States right now. 40% for those over 65. Now, studies have shown that isolation and loneliness has been proven to be linked to the following physical conditions. Cardiovascular health, 29, so 30% of increase in the risk of coronary heart disease from loneliness and isolation. I have a doctor here. Maybe I can go find out if that's true, but that's what the studies are saying. 30% increase in coronary heart disease. Substantial effects on glucose regulation, metabolism, inflammation control, reproductive and endocrine systems. Almost half of all incidences of psychological health challenges are related to being in isolation or lonely, specifically anxiety. I cannot tell you, if I had to, I've lay, I lay hands when I pray on people, if they allow me, I've laid hands probably on thousands of people and seen God do marvelous things and sometimes nothing and then you grow in humility and so you grow, it's wonderful. <laughs> but you lay hands on people. You know, if I had to say out of all the times since I've come to the United States that I lay hand on people, 
if I'd say, what was the highest thing that they asked for is anxiety. In Africa, I never got asked that question at one time. Not one time. It's, just, it's different cultural issues. Well, 3,000 years ago, by the Holy Spirit, Solomon wrote this. Anxiety in the heart of a man will cause depression. What's it? Proverbs 18. No, Proverbs 12. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. In order for there to be a good word, there has to be another person. It's not self-talk. There has to be someone else. It causes depression. What's the point? Look at our nation today. Anxiety, one of the biggest issues. Depression, one of the biggest issues. I think they had like seven suicides or something in a school in Percival, like in one year last year. It's crazy. Depression levels off the... I believe with all my heart, I'm not unrealistic. Biblically, I believe that a biblical, a true biblical community is the answer. Yes, they need the change of nature, but what do they get saved into? What do they come into? Proverbs 18.1, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against wise judgment. You know, like when I was a teenager, and there's wise judgment coming this way. I didn't just ignore it. You rage against it. Because you think you know better. And you don't. And a man who, a person who isolates himself, seeks his own desire. What does 1 Corinthians 13 say? Love does not seek its own desire. Romans 13. You owe no one anything except to love. Isolation is the opposite. Are you with me? It's a big deal. What are we bringing people into? Now, out of all the 59 one another's, there's many one another's that love one another, bear with one another, grieve with one another, carry one another's burdens, and so forth. One another's. There's actually more than 59, but that's, there's three, and, and then we'll be done, that have a specific description, let me say, attached. And we've chatted about some of these, so I won't preach on them. I'll, I'll read them to you. Forgive, and this is within a biblical community. This, these three are, for me, completely different. Forgive one another as Christ forgave you. That's the description attached. Now we spend half a December talking about that. Forgive one another. Even with a new nature, that will be required. So forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Accept one another just then as Christ accepted you. That's an incredible statement. Let me say this, and I need to be clear, without apology, that it's not talking about tolerance. The world has this thing now, tolerance. And it makes me sick, I'm just being honest. Why? Because they're not saying tolerance. They're actually saying, what, I, what I'm requiring of you is I'm requiring of you to celebrate everything that I am, and if you don't, then I'm mad. Even if it's exactly opposite to you. You have to celebrate it, otherwise we can't. That's actually not love. We can love them. The last thing I want is to be tolerated. I, hello? It's the last thing. I don't want my wife to tolerate me. Why? why? It's a, they've changed what tolerance means. They want to, me to become like. No, I'm becoming like something else. So that I can love you no matter what you do. That's accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Christ accepted, he says, while we were still sinners, Christ loved us. He accepted us.
So no matter how they come, but love says you can come however, but you won't stay like that. Not by us putting legalism and uh, No, you won't stay like that when you encounter a biblical community that is formed and fashioned according to Scripture. It will be such, it should be such a shock to the system when they experience a biblical community, something they've never experienced. That's what a church should carry. The last one is love one another, which I won't have time to get into. Love one another as Christ. Jesus said in John 13, he says, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. John 13, the new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. All three of those are a choice. You know that? Do you know that? They're a choice. None of them are feeling-based. None of them are feeling-based. It's a choice. That's why we're having life group fair. Because in Loudoun County, it's not just going to happen. There has to be something, there's a value that we carry. People say, well, that's, you know, that's not organic and that's not, you know, you know, it doesn't just happen by itself. Okay, well, it doesn't happen by itself in Loudoun County. So because of the value that we carry, we're creating a place where people can live life together so the biblical community can start to be expressed. You know, you want to engage in a very high level of spiritual warfare. Warfare is the opposite of what the ruling spirit of an area is. Invite someone for dinner and actually go. (laughs) It's actually that important in Loudoun County. Friends, (laughs) can you say this after me? I am a debtor. debtor. I am ready. I am am not ashamed. ashamed. Okay. That's who you are. I am. That's identity. I am. That's part of who you are in the new nature. So that when people, when people start to get saved, if we embrace the vision that God is putting in our hearts, I mean this, if we take ownership of it, you, me, all of us, not just me, not just them, not just the new guys, it should look very different in here in six months to a year. The type of people that we have that come to disrupt. When Jesus said, the one way that people will witness that you are mine is by the way that you... You love one another. This is how all will know that you are my disciples. Meaning what? That people have to witness us together outside of a worship service. They can't see us love one another in here. Huh, that's an interesting point. (laughs) Means we have to live life together. What do you know? What do you know? Can we stand? I'll say this. What I'm talking about, very few people, maybe, maybe some here have experienced moments of it. And you always, when we were in that place and there was just such family. As a, what I'm talking about is actually only possible by the presence of the Lord. It's something that begins to happen when the power of God comes and moves amongst these people. It's not something that we can do of ourselves. It's actually impossible. Can we ask him for this? Can we make choices for this? Amen.